Hello and welcome to the Andyplex. This is episode seven. Safe? Question mark. Today's special guest, buddy of mine, collaborator, one hell of a model American, Chase Offerly. Thank you for beaming into my living room over Zoom. I know we're still in a quarantine scenario, and I miss your face, and I want to hang out and touch you and and hug you and uh, reenact the scene from Ghost when we uh, with the clay, but. I think it's going to have to wait a couple more weeks. But anyway, welcome. Andy, do you smell the fumes? <laughs> How are you doing, brother? I smell them. I smell them. Yeah, actually, so I forgot to mention, we're going to be taking a deep dive into the 1995 horror, thriller, drama. We'll get to it in a minute. Talk about genre, but Safe, starring Julian Moore, directed and written by Todd Haynes. is your pick. Never seen it before. This movie... Oh my goodness. But first things first, I want to dive into your journey as a creative. You are a fellow writer on the Showbiz Storm, an artiste, a thespian, and apparently a great cook. Uh, so I hear. But I look forward to testing that, that last part uh, one day soon. But for the, for the moment, I know of your work. You're an extremely talented guy. You're an actor. You make Music videos, you collaborate with your now fiancé, Farah, Shay, who was on the last episode, Every Day is Groundhog Day, episode six, and you guys are what, li- what I like to call a power couple. Um, well, but anyway. thank you. Thank you, Andy. I appreciate uh, <laughs> the intro there. I can't cook to save my life, so I don't oh, know that was who to do that, but um, <laughs> I appreciate them trumping me up. That is just really not true. Uh, but yes, uh, all the rest is true. I'm an actor. I'm a writer. Um, I do make music videos with my lovely and talented fiance, Farah Shea, who was on the last episode. Uh, a real phenom in the podcast business. Reinvented the podcast last episode. So I will no, try my did. best. I will try my <laughs> best to match those levels that I will never hit. But uh, I'm excited to be on. Yes, I know. Um, I am been so blown away by everyone on the show uh, that I've had to step up my game. And every episode is a snowflake. Every one of us is a snowflake. And every film we decide is a different experience. And um, to kind of quickly go into the movie for a second, this was a movie that I had never heard of. Some of the other movies in the pack were uh, Kill Bill Volume 1. And mm-hmm. it, it's it's a tough call. And like I've said on the last epi- the few episodes, it's like, hello, guest, welcome to the Aniplex. Pick whatever movie you want. And they're like, any movie? That's It's almost, I thought it'd be liberating, but it actually can be a little overwhelming. So we have a little bit of a conversation, chuck some ideas out. And this movie is, uh, I think, really definitely reached out to you in this quarantine, in this plague that we're in. Um, but it also inspired you to a certain degree. And uh, I can't wait to dive deep into it with you, man. And um, if you haven't seen the movie Safe, watch the movie Safe, 1995, Julianne Moore, directed and written by Todd Haynes. Uh, This is the only movie I've seen by him now. So I am actually, as soon as we get off this call, I'm going to be, I am going to be like watching all of his stuff. Uh, What a, what a, what a, he's he's awesome. I mean, I think this movie, um, you know, I think it was one of the first, like, independent films I ever saw. I remember seeing it when I was really, really young. 
Um, back in the 90s, uh, my dad had like satellite direct TV. So it was back when you just had millions and millions and millions of channels. And I think I probably caught it on IFC or something like that. I'm not sure exactly what channel, but I remember watching it and uh, I was probably too young to watch it the first time I saw it, Yeah. Uh, to be honest. But that's a theme that reoccurs with a lot of good films I saw. So I'll take it. But um, yeah, I just remember kind of the presence it had and and the feelings it created and it was something that uh one of the first things i saw that made me realize the kind of mood that a movie can create and uh how it can kind of suck all the energy out of a situation and really really transport you there and, and put you on um kind of pins and needles absolutely man yeah for sure and I uh, look forward to our deep dive into it. And um, now that I'm familiar with it, we are going to watch it again today. Hope you don't mind. Yep. No, uh, of course. Let's watch it. Yeah, I always feel like, especially because I'm so new to it, but even with movies that I've seen a million times, you always catch something new or something like beckons and calls out to you today, you know, versus whatever you catch. You end up just catching things. Uh, of course. But yeah, this is a movie that is really puts you, like you said, in a really strange, unsafe headspace. And it's called safe. But, yes, very uh, much it's so. Very intense. But anyway, I really want to go into kind of your story first, and it'll all click together yeah. later why this movie is so perfect for you because you really are a cutting edge guy. I've really got to see you um, in operation. I got to see you work. Uh, we recently collaborated uh, back when we could gather together uh, on a video called STFU that uh, stars Farah, your yep. your your other half of your power couple. And, uh, and I remember I got there and I was going to be one of these guys that were going to be tied up and gagged. And um, the whole idea is, you know, shut up when I'm talking to you guys. And it's just about being heard, about being listened to. But it's this really fun thing where you kind of show up. It looks like a, like a live event. And then the camera flips around and we're all like gagged. And it's like, you guys are the greatest audience ever. Thanks so much for listening. And then we're like literally tied up and gagged. And. Uh, and I remember being like, hey, Chase, what are you what are you shooting this bad boy on? And you were like, iPhone. And I was just like, oh, okay. But it really was the perfect choice for this video. Um, in, terms of, in terms of video making, when you approach a certain project, do you think camera first? Or do you kind of, is that, is that kind of a conversation that, that evolves after you kind of get into the, I mean, get into the piece? Or? To be honest, you know, most of the things that I've shot, I don't have access to kind of a cutting edge camera. Never really have, you know. I had kind of an old film camera when I was younger, mm -hmm. uh, the like 16 millimeter that I would use. Um, really old, just kind of rusty piece of junk, but you could shoot stuff on it. Right. Uh, and so I kind of just went from there, or a camcorder even, you know, a little mini DV, and uh, that was kind of like late middle school to, to early high school. I had access to that when I went to uh, the art school that I was at for a period of time. Uh, yeah. ACMA. Shout out to ACMA in uh, Beaverton, Oregon. Oh, but, yeah. So uh, you're, uh, where are you from originally, actually, Chase? So I'm from Oregon. Uh, from Oregon. I grew up in an area called Raleigh Hills, which is right in between Portland and uh, a suburb outside of Portland called Beaverton. Uh, which is a, a very interesting culture clash, you know. Uh, Beaverton is is much more similar to the San Fernando Valley as featured in in Safe, 
Yes. Uh, whereas Portland is is much more akin to, you know, Los Angeles itself, Hollywood and, and the city and um, Silver Lake and those kind of areas. So growing up, it was a bit of a culture clash, kind of being sandwiched right in between that. There was a lot of things I did in Portland. A lot of my friends were in Portland and live music and theater and those kind of things. Um, but because of where our housing was, um, I was zoned for a school in Beaverton. So I went to a very suburb kind of middle school and high school. And it was very, uh, very stereotypical where, where the football players and the cheerleaders were popular and, and uh, you know, Everybody called me an expletive that that rhymes with rag because I wanted to be an actor. So, huh. uh, very very different cultures colliding. Yeah. Well, I'm very glad that you stuck it out and and decided to pursue the path that you have taken. Was there a moment, kind of an inception point, where you were like, I must be an actor or a creative, or was it kind of a more of a gradual? slow process talking with your guidance counselor and thinking it over or well i think i told you before it was it was right when i came out of the womb right in the hospital (laughs) the doctor spanked my little cheeks and i was like i'm gonna be a star you came uh, out with the uh you came with the top hat and cane you're like hello my baby hello like this kid's got the talent man he's one second old he's one second old he's already performing exactly yeah it was a real groucho (laughs) marks routine uh, no, you, you know, my parents actually were both, uh, professional dancers. Uh, oh. so they traveled Europe and, and danced in different shows. My mom was a featured dancer at the, uh, Moulin Rouge. She was the lead dancer there. And, uh, my father was on this Italian show called Fantastico, which, uh, I don't know if you're familiar, but in Europe, they have a lot of shows that are really similar to the kind of variety shows that we had in the forties and fifties, but are oh, wow. kind of still their most like popular shows. Uh, so it was like that where there's singing acts and dancing and this kind of stuff. So he was a dancer on that show. And uh, they were kind of a, a little bit of a, a famous celebrity couple in Italy for a little bit. There's some old Italian tabloids that have pictures of them and stuff like that. And uh, it, it, it's pretty cool. Um, wow. So I did, I did not know, know that about you. That makes sense. Yeah, now, yeah. Yeah, huh. my, my, my parents split up when I was really young, and by the time I was able to remember anything, they weren't together, and we were living in Oregon, so my mom moved back to the States to have me, and uh, but she worked at a dance studio, became the artistic director, so I was always around kind of performing arts growing up. Um, I think the last thing my parents ever wanted me to be was an actor, or an artist, or anything like that. Uh, because they kind of knew the struggle of that life and mm-hmm. how inconsistent it can be and what a uh, Absolutely. wild ride it can be at times. But Absolutely. That's why I say uh, brave souls in show business, and that's why I reach out to everyone's story, and I, I have to preface it that way because, yeah, it's – I mean, our whole reality has gotten more uncertain with uh, this pandemic, but even before that, I think uh, the acting world and the creative world is so – in flux and yeah you really have to just need it slash love it um i think yeah i think it's like they say right it's like if you can ever imagine yourself doing anything else and being happy you should probably do it <laughs> do it and do it now <laughs> do do anything else it doesn't matter like go be an hvac if you can you know like just <laughs> do whatever uh yeah you know right. I, i'm one of the the lucky souls who can't imagine doing anything else um yeah. But, you know, I, I've been pretty lucky. I started acting in Portland when I was relatively young, you know. 
I asked mm-hmm. my mom to take me to a um, found this theater kind of film acting class hybrid thing that was at the local rec center. And uh, I just begged her to take me to it in the summer. And it was like a free class, and uh, which was great because we didn't have a lot of money growing up. So she was excited that I'd found something that was free, I think. Uh, and the woman who was running the class, her name was Sandra Peabody, um, who happened to be, uh, you know, kind of a, an actress of notoriety in, in the 70s. And uh, she was in couple Wes Craven films back in the day and oh, really? the actor's studio and all that, uh, which I had no clue at the time, obviously. But she was just doing that class to kind of find talent and in, in the area. And uh, she had an acting studio in Portland. So she kind of recruited me from that and then came on as, uh, as my agent and started booking some projects when I was younger. Uh, Portland's a cool place because they have tax credits. So they shoot... Um, anywhere between three and four tv shows a year and a couple movies a year uh so i kind of got my break when i was younger i was in the the mike mills film uh thumb sucker that had uh tilda swinton and keanu reeves in it and, you were in uh, thumb sucker i was yeah yeah wow. I was, uh the, the younger brother in thumb sucker yeah get out mm-hmm. that's awesome explain uh that whole process of did the film kind of blow into town and you got swept up in it or there was like auditions and I auditioned a bunch and uh, I'll never forget. I like got a call from my agent, which sounds hilarious. I was like 10 and uh, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> I, but, well, I got a call from my agent saying I, like I didn't get the part and I was so crushed. You know, I like went out on my skateboard and was just like flooring <laughs> around and like being so angsty and I was like really upset, you know. And then she called back a couple days later, and they changed their mind, and I did have the part, which I don't, I don't really know wow. what changed, but it was a strange scenario. Uh, yeah. And then from there, and uh, you probably you, will never know, right? I mean, I have no idea. Yeah. yeah. Um, That's funny. I, you got that taste as a ten-year-old, though, like of how it. The, as we were just talking about the fickleness of it, the absolutely, you know. absolutely. You gotta, you gotta get that taste young, right? So you, you understand what it's all about. Wow, ten but years yeah, old. Then, then the director, Mike Mills, he actually, we lived as a family for like a month. Like we did all these these family type things because Vincent D'Onofrio p- played my dad, Tilda Swinton played my mom, uh, this other actor, Lou Taylor Pucci, who some people might know from some independent stuff, he played the main character who was my brother in it. And uh, yeah, so we all lived as a family, which obviously that was a really amazing crash course as a kid because, you know. Tilda Swinton and Vincent D'Onofrio are really, really amazing actors who I I totally respect. So, you know, being able to work with them and just see how it was. And, you know, things are different when you're a kid because acting's mostly instinctual at that point. Yeah. You're, you're not, uh, you know, there's not a whole lot of method and that kind of stuff. But I had taken class and I understood what it was all about. And uh, But it was just really cool to see kind of how they did their thing and uh it, it left a big imprint on me you know that's incredible yeah you know you you got to have a, a cross with some of the industry's finest and and to get that experience at such a young age and and then having that that kind of heartbreak moment that boomeranged back into heart exuberance moment of like getting the part and having that all as at that age is it's Definitely. incredible man yeah, so wow. that's kind of where it started, and then I just, um, you know, I wanted to go to L.A. after that, but my parents said that I had to finish out high school and all that kind of stuff in Oregon, which I think was ultimately a really smart choice. Yeah. Um, 
can Get be a tough city. Education. Yeah. Yeah, and it can be a tough city for kids, kid actors to come out here and and all that kind of stuff. You know, I think there is enough cautionary tales that we've all seen to to know that's the case. You know. Absolutely. Um, yeah. For sure. Even though you probably sounded like you were emotionally uh, pretty together and pretty tough, and like you said, had that early experience, but. Yeah, it can yeah. be a culture shock to come here and get smacked in the face, you know, by it. When, when I was a kid, I was originally a little upset about it, obviously, because yeah. you want to you want to do what you want to do, right? But, um, you already decided your path, and right, right. But uh, you know, I think ultimately it was very smart, and I had a chance to train and learn a lot. And luckily, in Portland, there was a lot of great projects that came through, so I had the opportunity to kind of like cut my teeth on. Uh, different independent films and television shows that came into town and, you know, get my SAG card and, and do all that cool stuff while finishing high school and and uh, doing theater in Portland as well. Wow, wow. What a cool, what a cool beginning. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's amazing. I'm really, I think it's great that you had that experience. And, and you, like you said, you was through the kind of lens of the small town because when you come to L.A., there's so much happening. Uh, at totally. least it used to be when... The world was happening, but <laughs> well, uh, back then, yeah, back then, a few weeks ago when there was a world, but uh, yeah, just like maybe because it was like the show's coming there, it was more of a palatable kind of dose of the industry of, of showbiz, and you were Definitely. able to kind of like wrap your head around it. Whereas coming here, might have who knows if you'd come here at that point, maybe you would have just drowned, and, and um, obviously, we never know, but I like to yeah. think that uh, I like to think that you took a really, really cool course, and your path is exceptionally awesome and you guys have been up to some real real fun stuff and uh i think the first thing i saw with you was uh was it the funnier die um the halloween thing oh the halloween anthology with, yeah the halloween with marilyn anthology. manson yeah yeah that was so good uh it was kind of <laughs> yeah. like uh i'll let you explain it but it was kind of like um are you afraid right of the it was dark sort of a, of a riff on uh the nickelodeon show are you afraid of the dark from the right. 90s and um, so it was kind of cutaways where it was us uh, kind of in the secret society or, or whatever they were called, secret storyteller society from the show. Yeah. And uh, we were trying to impress Marilyn Manson with our, our scariest stories. Right. And then he was telling us some, some of his own and we decided that his weren't very scary. And then uh, at the end, it turns out we're this weird little dark cult that I'm the leader of and we murder him. So, yeah, you know. Yeah, you played like this. Yeah, the aloof, like cool, cool guy. Uh, right, right, kind of. Uh, yeah, absolutely angsty, hilarious. Angsty bully that uh, yeah. was prevalent in a lot of sort of like '90s stuff, which is always <laughs> really funny to play. Yeah, you crushed it. I was, I was absolutely floored. I think it was actually Halloween night. We went. You and I decided we wanted to go out, and um, it was like during the week so i guess like the, the main parties were like over the weekend but then we, i guess we heard about something and we went and then we came back and just played youtube oh, videos yeah. and hung out and you played it and i was like oh my god and just to carry a scene with like marilyn manson like that and um that takes that takes some chops because i could see being kind of nervous especially around like a personality it sounds like he was kind of a cool guy and kind of chill he was very cool yeah he yeah. was very cool he was very complimentary and mm -hmm. um you know he was like, you're like the next Johnny Depp, but better and stuff. And and that's absolutely true. You know, but <laughs> yeah, no, that's definitely not true. That guy's incredible. But no, um, no, he's amazing. You're on your own path. But yeah, I guess he, he was very nice 
he was very nice and complimentary, and uh, he gave me a lot of confidence on the shoot, you know, so made, made things easy. It's cool. Guy. Yeah, that's great. Another and notch on your belt, and because uh, I know, you know, you, you, you know, I'm an actor sometimes, and you do the prep and all that, but then as soon as you're, as soon as the camera's on, or as soon as there's a crew around, as soon as there's a personality around, or somebody, you have to, there's a certain amount of like separation that you have the work that you have to do that isn't something you can really teach people totally it's just an experience thing like you were saying you have to just kind of get the get the groove so the fact that you were able to do it at such a young age and kind of lock that in and i know every 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 production is different and every project's a new beast but uh the ability to kind of like center your chi in a moment and really um that's something i don't think an acting class can really teach you per se it's something you really have to just kind of gain on your own um yeah, Practice it's just kind of on. It's kind of onset experience, you know. I, I think that's the biggest right. thing. And mm-hmm. for new actors coming into a situation and that kind of thing, I think that's the hardest thing to gain and master. And um, yeah, that's kind of what it's all about. Yeah, totally. Um, so, like acting class rep wise, uh, what are you up to with classes and rep- representation out here in LA? Uh, yeah, so, uh, my manager is Desiree Middlebrook. She's awesome. Uh, she's with Archetype. Cool. Uh, management. I just signed with, uh, this wonderful lady, Jackie, at the Jackie LB Talent Agency, who has worked with, um, a lot of really incredible actors, um, James Gandolfini and- Oh my goodness. Some other people who are escaping me right now, but I think she worked with Angelica Houston as well, and just some really like fascinating, like very talented actors uh, who I respect. So oh, awesome. uh, I just I just got signed with her right before uh, everything kind of went a little upside down. But yeah, uh, yeah, I'm really excited yeah. to be working with her. And as far as acting goes, I go to the John Kirby Studio, who is John uh, Kirby, pretty amazing guy. Um, was an actor of his own, and then kind of turned into an on-set coach uh, for a lot of cool actors, uh, most famously like Jim Caviezel. And oh, my goodness. Yeah. Literally and, Jesus uh, Christ. Yeah. <laughs> he coached Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. Wow. You know, that's what I always say to him. I'm just like, <laughs> John, baby, what was it like coaching Jesus Christ? You know. Hey, is today the day we do Walking on Water? I didn't yeah. miss it. I, was, I had to miss last week because of work, but. Yeah, I always turn water into wine, and he's just not very impressed. He's like, I've seen it. <laughs> but can you walk on it? Now that's, that's <laughs> now the that's test. talent, baby. <laughs> that takes core control. Exactly. Uh, that's so cool. So, yeah, um, you, you do that, like, once a week, right? You um... Yeah, you go in once a week. It's a really cool class. It's kind of like – it's nice because it's kind of a hybrid between theater and film, which, uh, to yeah. be honest, I haven't done theater in a really long time. Uh, mm-hmm. At this point, I haven't been in a theater production for, man, probably like 10 to 12 years. So yeah. it's been a while. But you go up on stage and you kind of set the stage how you want it. And um, But there's no blocking or, or directorial advice, which is nice because it has the freedom of, of what feels like a, a film scene. Okay. Um, but but you're working on classic work. So you're, you're working on these incredible playwrights. Um, pieces which which have so much depth and and really working and breaking those things down is is kind of what makes you um I, I think a great actor you know um for sure so be able to have a combination of both is is really cool it's a, it's a very unique class and i feel really lucky to be a part of it yeah are you guys um 
I guess probably not able to meet now or doing Zoom calls or. Nah, we're on hold right now. It's yeah. kind of impossible for us to do just right. the way our set class is set up. It's kind of impossible to do over video chat and stuff. So yeah, we're just on a little bit of a hiatus right now. But uh, you know, I've been keeping sharp, just doing self tapes and um, doing different scenes and stuff like that. I'm lucky because Farah actually trained as an actress as well, and she's fantastic. I'm pretty sure she's a better actor than me. But she's, uh, she's very good. Yeah, she she is here, and uh, so we'll do scenes and stuff like that. And she reads for me, and and uh, so I've been staying sharp, which is which is good. That's great. Yeah, I was gonna say if there's anything uh, you can be doing in this medium of this chaotic void we're in right now of, to stay stay fit as a fiddle. Um, yeah, you gotta stay sharp. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But we're really even before the the pandemic. We've seen a lot more self-taping going on and a lot more of that, um, which, especially in a city where traffic is kind of a a sad reality that it's so bad out here. Of course, now it's so chill and we have great visibility. And yeah, uh, but when when the world was open and operating at at full capacity, you know, just to get to an audition across town and back, uh, and then you know, if you have a job or you have a cat or a dog or whatever. Or a dinner date with your girlfriend or your fiance. Uh, running around or auditioning can be a lot. So you you got to get home and make sure they gave you a, a teal couch and not a black one. You know? <laughs> right? Everybody's got stuff to do. Exactly. Another safe reference, uh, which I'm so excited to talk about this movie. It's uh, I'm really brand new to it, so uh, it's been a real adventure for me as well to kind of step out of my comfort zone because I feel like the last crop of movies um, we. I'd seen them all a bunch, um, so I kind of got lucky that way. But uh, I really, obviously, want to always be growing and learning. I don't want to be stagnant. I want to always be reaching. And even the movies that I have seen, I always want to, I call it a deep dive, which Phil Gawthorne, thanks again, Phil, he was episode one, really got me going, and he kept saying deep dive. And, of course, in the Jaws episode, I probably said it too much because <laughs> water-based. But, anyway, uh, I love just these deep dives. <laughs> I know Nick's like, okay, I get it. It's a water movie. All right. No, we get it. Yeah. <laughs> there's yeah, so, water. There's water and it's deep and we're diving. And anyway. Um, but yeah, so uh, being an actor that has so much kind of experience in different arenas and then going into the music world uh, with Farah, but was. Was it Farah that kind of got you into that world, or or was that interest? Uh, yeah, I know you were already kind of into performance art and whatnot, but at what point were you like music videos and and that kind of side of the coin appeal to you? Yeah, I mean, honestly, just working with her was my yeah. first experience with it. You know, I think um, you know we met, we fell in love, love at first sight, and I mean, she's my soulmate, and I don't yeah. feel like the luckiest man on the planet. Yeah, you and guys are such a such an example, a banner example of. Uh, of when it clicks and it works, man. So that's great. Thank you for for giving such a squeaky clean, positive portrayal of love and oh, the yeah, power it can wield. <laughs> well, it's not all squeaky clean. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I no, I, I mean we're really lucky, you know. And I think her and I both had really like kind of fantasized about 
having a partner that we could collaborate with. Yeah. You know, I think that's what we're all looking for. Absolutely. You know, whether it's a platonic partner or a love partner or a soulmate or whatever. Yeah. Someone who just kind of has your back and is just down to try whatever and support you and any little idea you have or whatever, just kind of do it, you know. Nurturing um, nurturing the the inception of ideas and being able to kind of go down the rabbit hole together. To a degree. Yeah, just just loving and supporting and being like, yeah, let's try it, let's do it, and and uh, you know, from a young age, I I have always loved movies. I mean, they captured my imagination from you know it's some of the first memories I have, you know, and yeah. uh, I had a single mom who worked a lot, and so I watched a lot of movies. I had a lot of time alone and and things like that, and so those were kind of the worlds that I escaped into, Absolutely. and. Uh, which I think is really common for a lot of people who love films. You know, that's that's a huge through line. Yeah, and it, is, it is really a world that you are diving into, and it, it wakes it. Like you were saying earlier, it massages your brain and like those ideas. And yeah, um, and and you know, if things may not be so good in your world, you can jump into these new worlds and experience things and learn things and and make friends and have a good time and, and check things out. Yeah. And uh, I was always kind of drawn to cinematography. You know, I, I would always see things. And even before I really knew the language for what things meant, I'd just be like, oh, that's a cool shot. Like, how do they do that? Like, oh, that's really interesting. You know, and I was just always kind of into, um, I don't know, cinematography, you know, in a way from, from a young age. So being able to shoot stuff uh, for Farah, shoot those videos and all that kind of stuff and try out different stuff like just getting really up close and in, in personal for the STFU video, using it just on the gimbal and, and really crowd work and, and whipping yeah. around and making you feel like you're really right there in the action. And that kind of cinema verite kind of stuff is, is I love that kind of stuff. So, oh, you know, it, just it translated so well on that one. And uh, to go back to the iPhone choice, like, yeah, the gimbal that you had and the, your, your ability to kind of weave around and get that, that full picture. And it felt like, a real live event like it had that live event edge that i think really served the piece extremely well yeah yeah you we wanted it to have that kind of found footage look you know yeah uh which which is really i think what was accomplished so that's cool and uh i've always liked found footage movies so i, I know some of them are bad and cheesy and stuff like that but i i do think they have they have some cool elements to them so i i really agree well, you know there's always good and bad in any medium any genre any platform but yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a really powerful way to kind of yeah take the the docu the docu edge. Um, yep. And I think safe safe doesn't feel like a found footage movie, but there is that kind of docu, just stark hard look at middle America or you know middle America or whatever you want to call it, or and then the post industrial America. Obviously, we're yep. here in California, and I think this movie's twenty five years old, and um, it's still. Uh, a lot of the, the, the questions that it's posing are still relevant. And uh, so, yeah, I really, I, I, I got that element of the movie and how it really was like, this is so chase, like just getting in there getting into the nitty gritty. Um, I really, that STFU video was, was so much fun. Um, I can't wait till this is over and to work with you guys again. Uh, you guys said you had another project in the works last time we phone chatted. Yeah, yeah. Um, May I pry? Uh, get some. Yeah, beats? yeah, totally, totally. Uh, cool. Farah, you know, she's working on her uh, new album right now, American Revolution. And right. so uh, on June 5th, we're going to be dropping uh, a video for one of the singles. And uh, it's kind of a post apocalyptic love story. 
Uh, wow. We went out on the desert and just did it with a four-man crew. And, uh, yeah, I don't want to say too much or yeah. hype things up too much or anything like that, but I'm just really, really, really beyond excited for people to see it. Yeah. And uh, I think it's one of the coolest things I've ever been a part of. So uh, That's so cool. What uh, Did the kind of post-apocalyptic elements like emerge before this pandemic, or was this all stuff that kind of bubbled into your conscious or subconscious? No, I mean, me and Farrah and I had kind of workshopped the idea together like before this all happened, you know, but then mm-hmm. I think uh, the idea of love and, and meaning and, and connection, uh, which I think obviously are prevalent in the movie we're about to watch as well, uh, become even more stark and apparent uh, in a, a time of, of COVID, you know? Yeah. Uh, so it just became kind of more and more salient as, as time went on. Yeah. Excellent. That's so cool. Yeah. I got to play, uh, I got to play some on the Ferris episode, uh, episode six. So if you guys haven't checked that episode out, you can hear some of the music on there, but I'll definitely be. It's, it's much better than this episode. Go, go listen to that. She's great. <laughs> she's, she's amazing. So yeah, Ferris great. Now you guys are honestly, uh, or such a, such an awesome power couple, man. You. Yeah. <laughs> Well, so, thank you. Yeah, no, it's just been really cool to, to be part of uh, the Chase and Farah continuing universe and get to see what you guys have been cooking up. And I definitely – actually, the first real time I really got to know Farah was a couple of years ago. We went on a work – kind of work retreat. Some of us went to uh, Big Bear, and it was raining the oh, whole yeah. time. And we were – but there was a hot tub, and I'm sitting in the hot tub, and me and Farah just like – I was just like, man, this girl is so – Full of crazy, awesome ideas. I was just like connected, you know. Wait, wait, uh, wait! You were in the hot tub with my. Friend, <laughs> Are you? F- no, I'm just like- <laughs> yeah. Don't worry. Nothing happened. And All right, then- man. Uh, this show. This show's over. Cut the mic. Turn it off. Oh, we're done. We're backing up. We're done. I just. I, I'm firing myself. It's a wrap. <laughs> Cut it up. It's good. We're not. We're good. We're doing this remotely. I think Chase would have just probably taken my head off. Uh, yeah, I would have. I would have just instantly killed you. No, no. Yeah, to finish the story, she kept talking about this guy. She kept talking about this dude. Um, that was just like, oh my god. And yeah, I feel like I, I, I think I met you almost right away after you guys met. Like, I think it was like a work Christmas party, like a couple months later or something. Now, yeah, was like, I think that's I right. I, I, I can't remember if I met you there or or if it was one at the house party USA's uh, that that Farrah did. Oh yeah, you're right. I, I think that might have been the first time. I think yeah. we were we were dancing and having a good time, and uh, yeah, you know, um, yeah, you're you're a heck of a dancer yourself, there, uh, Mister. <laughs> oh well, thank you, thank you, kind <laughs> sir. You are you are quite the dancer as well. You and your uh, LED, <laughs> you and your LED power suit that that we all love <laughs> is is yeah. cool. You're the best. Uh, you bring so much fun. Honestly, when I first met you, I just saw that you brought so much fun and energy to Farrah's show, and I was like, man, this guy is awesome like you were just going full out 100 percent every song and you know when you love someone a lot when you see someone support them and and what they're doing so much it you know you kind of really take a liking to them almost instantly you're like this is great you know and then (laughs) thank you sir i met you and you're such a funny and cool guy and yeah we just you know we all get along well and have a good time yeah no and right back at you uh yeah your guys' stuff really amps me up i feel like ferris shows just the energy is really there i feel like i can just be myself and just go for it and um it's just such a fun atmosphere i can't wait till i can't wait till uh concerts aren't illegal again and we can all get back out dust our dust our dancing shoes off 
dust my yeah, we were shoes just, off. Yeah, we were just talking about that. We were like, man, concerts are going to be really fun when this is all over. Because I know. people are, nobody's going to take it for granted, you know? It's like, I know. they're going to be like, take wow, I actually granted. have, like, this is a privilege to be able to do this. And I just want to go out and just rage and dance my face off and and yeah. share the energy and have so much fun, you know? So, uh, the show, her shows are going to be wild. Her shows are already fun because she just puts so much energy into it. And, yeah. and, uh, she has so many, like, loyal fans and friends who, who always show up for, for every show. And, yeah. uh, just, just go for it. So, totally, totally. Um, I, uh, I can't agree more. The, the, the taking for granted line really was really resonating with me because, yeah, uh, I made it, to, I made it to some stuff earlier in the year. But there were a couple instances where I like, I was just kind of tired, and I was like, I don't want to go to that. And I was gonna see, go see Tool live, one of my favorite bands, and I yeah. just, I couldn't, I just couldn't like swing it with. And it was just kind of like it was a little too expensive. But now I'd be like, I will pay all my money <laughs> to go. Oh yeah, it gives you them. a new appreciation. It gives you a new appreciation for it, right? I mean, yeah, exactly. That's what's cool. Right. So we're kind of in this existence of, of separation now. And like you said, we're living in this COVID reality. And um, as an artist, I, it sounds like this Desert Project just really kind of was birthed from that idea. But as an artist, do you feel so happy you, you and Farah have each other in this? Because, uh, you know, it, it's just kind of I'm lucky. I have a, one of my best friends and collaborators who lives directly below me in my apartment complex. So he and I are quarantining together. And mm-hmm. uh, so that's been really helpful. But how has it kind of uh, overall affected your your lens at work and and at your own work at your own art? Um, has it been a big shift or not really? Or how'd you feel? How do you feel about that? I don't know. I think it's kind of interesting. You know, I think um, it's certainly easier to be more in touch with your emotions. I think at a time like this because things are so quiet. You know. Um, for an actor and a creative, I think just being in touch with your emotions and, and going deep down kind of inside yourself and your core and, and figuring out those sort of like primal truths uh, about yourself. And like those are your unique superpowers, you know, though, those are what you are going to bring to art and the world that nobody else can. So for me, this quietness is kind of uh, a time to explore that, you know. And uh, for me, like, I love to meditate. I love alone time. I love going and spending time in the garden um, that we have and and just spending time with Farah. Like, that's really my favorite thing to do. You know, I'm not like a crazy, crazy social person. Mm-hmm. I like going and doing social things sometimes, but I'm not, I can, can be pretty solitary. Um, so, you know, for me, it's not that big of a deal. <laughs> I, yeah. You know, but, but, um, I think balancing that with the realization that this is a really hard time for some people, you know, it's an incredibly, incredibly miserable time for some people. Some people are completely isolated. And, you know, if you have any pre-existing conditions like anxiety, which I suffer with and depression, which I suffer with, uh, it can be a strange time, you know. So I try to keep that in mind as well and really think about the people that are that are going through it and, and try to reach out and be there. And and it can be a lot to shoulder because you're like, I'm having a really great time and life is really good for me right now, even in this weird time. But I also have to be cognizant that there's others that it's not an easy time for at all. 
I know there has been a little like element of, of guilt when people ask me how I'm doing. And I'm like, actually, I mean, I do miss a lot of things like just talking about going out to a, a dance concert or whatever, uh, or a dance party or, or just, you know, you, you, you do miss your extended, you know, kind of network. Um, yeah, I, but, I have no friends, so I'm fine. <laughs> uh, nothing has changed for me at all. Yeah, no, it's I get exactly it. The same. Uh, I'm definitely, I feel like I'm definitely doing better than most people. And I really like, like you and Farah, I really feel like I've been able to, this podcast, for example, been able to really put my energy and, and creative thought into something that I can control. So, right. although that, I think that's what it ultimately is, is we, the unknowns of a, this virus, we don't really understand it yet. We still don't, we're, we're trying right. to grapple with that and uh, the social distancing, which is a term I'd never heard of before. I think pretty sure they made it up. Nope. I don't. Think, <laughs> yeah. I yeah. Uh, social distancing. What does that mean? I mean, I do that all the time when I'm like sick of everybody. But, you know, uh, yeah. what do you mean? So and yeah, like and then it's even what going girls. It's and, what girls did to me in middle school. <laughs> that's, what it, that's, what, that's what it's called. <laughs> it was always from the other side of the coin. I, I get it now that I'm doing it to them, too. Cause I'm like, yeah, oh. yeah. No, but you go outside, you know, go for a walk. You got to get out. You guys have your, your secret garden. Your, what is it, like your driveway? A little like I've, I've Skyped Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're lucky. We have this beautiful garden that's right in the front of uh, our little apartment that's kind of like our front yard. Um, right. So, you know, it's a great place to go out and just meditate and center yourself. And, um, you know, so we're, we're really lucky, you know. Yeah. And, Getting it's that uh, getting that boosted unemployment doesn't hurt either. Not to get into exactly, the planet, you know. But, you know we, once, we live once in the a money state. was okay, I was like, I'm good. I mean, I'm, <laughs> yeah, we we live in a state here in California that really takes care of its workers and stuff like that. Yeah. and there's a lot of people across this country who do not. You know, they yeah. live in states where you get a minimal, minimal, minimal fraction uh, of what you make. You know, so their lives are are so greatly affected. Yeah, you know? so it, it, it's different. I'm so um, grateful that yeah, and because uh, you and I, we we both we dip into the uh, the service industry to kind of totally uh, make ends meet and whatnot, toil away as Ferris said, toiling and uh, and I'm really grateful that that's how I met you guys. Um, but yeah, I, I I'm trying to use this as a time to kind of really just focus on the art and like you said, going inward. I love that. Uh, yeah. Explain some of your your meditation processes if you, if you don't mind. Um, no, no, of course I'm not. I'm trying to step um, up my game as well, and it, I kind of yeah. have my, you know, I think we all have our own method or whatever works for you, and it changes time to time. But kind of, what's your, uh, what's your go-to with meditation? Um, you know, it it just depends. I think right now in this time, it's really easy to kind of get in your head and get in your headspace and and get frantic. Uh, so mm-hmm. I do a lot of grounding meditations, which kind of focuses on your connection to mother earth and, uh, your root chakra, you know, uh, you, you just lost 50% of your fan base, by the way, Listen, they're, <laughs> this guy's they're like, like chakras. um, what is this shaman no, no, no. guy? What it's, is he going on about now? It, yeah, I am a spiritual no, mystic, so let's just get that out of the way. Uh, I'm an accredited spiritual mystic, um, but no, uh, so it's just focusing on kind of uh, the earth energy, you know. So, so all the different elements kind of have things that 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 they add, you know. So, fire ignites, and water is sort of related to emotion, and air is kind of related to a sense of being free and your connection to the spiritual world. And earth is really focused on grounding and keeping you centered in the reality that we're in right now, uh, here on Earth. 
So I've been doing a lot of grounding exercises because it's easy for me to float, my head to float away. I'm a Gemini. I'm an air sign. So uh, I go up there pretty quickly. Um, so <laughs> I've been doing a lot of that and I've been doing a lot of gratitude meditation, just being thankful for what I have and focusing mm. on everything that is great. Uh, it doesn't mean ignoring the bad things. That's not what it's about. Pretending they don't exist and that kind of stuff. You have to grapple with that too. For every light, there is a shadow. You have to do the shadow work as well, but wow, to, to sit back and, and to pretend like I don't have a million things to be grateful for and, and that I'm a very privileged person and to, see that and recognize that and know what that means that that's a lot of the work that I've been doing that's great I know it's it's easy to there's always something wrong there's always something that could be better uh, and I liked what you said about light and shadow because yeah just because you can see something that can be improved I mean as artists we're always kind of obviously we're always the meanest on our own our own stuff and yeah uh, but yeah like there's a there's a constructiveness to wanting to make something better but you can get caught in there's kind of a there is kind of a negative um it's easy to fall into the negative thing where like there's always something wrong if you look hard enough but there's always great stuff too if you are looking so you, i think it's like you said there's a training of your kind of perception um and i think that's what medit- for me meditation i don't think i do it nearly as much as you are so i'm kind of new but i'm i'm incorporating a lot of different ideas. Of course, I went on YouTube and found some great stuff. YouTube, baby. I do the same thing. I do the same thing. That's where I get all my meditations. Oh, from. cool. All right, good. Yeah, sometimes yeah, I feel kind of cheesy, like typing everything into YouTube. No, that's, that's so where good. I get everything. That's the I way know. to do it. YouTube's like my yeah. great, is the greatest teacher. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> YouTube is the greatest teacher. I know. Seriously. Let's, let's get some shirts printed. Let's go, Andrew. Oh, let's do it. I'm in. Because uh, it's not a lie at all. But... Uh, yeah, you know, just to be able to kind of center and say it's going to be okay because the world around us is in flux so much, especially right now, like one day to the next, you know, you get the the governor hits us up. Oh, stay inside another three months or uh, this is going to be shut down for this long. The other uh, Hollywood Bowl is never going to open again until next year. And you're like, oh, God. you know, like all this data. And I, I've been limiting how much like I want to be informed, but there is also this, such a thing as over informed. Um, and we're going to talk about safe and safe was in 95, but I think a modern exposure meter that we all have now is, uh, social media and it's just, I mean, very, very, very ahead of its time for a film, you know, which is kind of a cliche thing to say about film. But uh, in this case, I think it's very true. Oh, it it is absolutely true. And it is a cliche, but only because I think, you know, art is reflecting on light on life, but there is an element of trying to work these ideas out in a comfortable space in a safe space um actually i'm i'm kind of ready uh i'm i'm kind of ready to dive into the 1995 film yeah let's let's watch it you little milkaholic let's (laughs) how do you know i love milk (laughs) um yeah let's watch it man dude this movie oh my god it's gonna give me a nosebleed again just like julianne moore's nosebleed in it but uh ayo let's take a quick break for you, it will just be a few moments, guys. For Chase and I, will be the duration of the 1995 dark drama, horror, thriller, psychological horror, period piece. I mean, it was only seven years before, eight years before, but it was in 87. Anyway, whatever this movie is, genre-wise, uh, I think it defies the genre line, which is another thing I love about it. Uh, spiritual awakening horror. Spiritual awakening horror. Chase, 
after this show, you're going to take my job, and you're going to do the rest of the episodes. You don't need Sounds me. good. <laughs> I, I will say, I, I want to put uh, for this um, a mild trigger warning. Uh, if you are having a lot of anxiety about coronavirus and those kind of things, uh, just know that those ideas will be heightened after seeing this film, okay? Yeah, this is not a light fare, um, but I honestly think this is one of the most important movies I've seen, and uh, I can't wait to watch it again right now, sir. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right, brother. Well, Chase Offerly and myself have just revisited a movie I just visited for the first time a couple days ago. The 1995, what did you call it? Uh, what kind of horror? Uh, spiritual Awakening Horror. Spiritual Awakening Horror. Safe. Starring Julianne yep. Moore. Um, what a great name for a movie that makes you feel so utterly unsafe. <laughs> so utterly. Yes. Uh, it's so funny because when I, when I looked it up, I was like, this isn't a horror movie. But saw that it was kind of like a disease movie. You, you look at the picture on IMDb. It's like uh, the guy, uh, Lester, with the mask Lester. on. Oh, Her, no. Yeah. Uh, a, a character that we don't really get to meet. We just get a cu- couple quick shots of him doing his little Lester walk, uh, his little jagged herky-jerky robot walk through the cornfield or whatever. At the spiritual Probably restraint. a good thing that we don't get to meet Lester. Too. <laughs> he says volumes with very little. Not yes, a man of, yes, not a man of many words, that Lester. Um, but a bizarre first thing, figure in a bizarre film. Yeah, this movie, it is so bizarre. Um, but I think that's part of its power. It's part of its, uh, its mystique. Uh, now we're, we're at the 25th anniversary of this movie. Um, and crazy. It was set in, I guess it's already called a period piece. I mean, it was like eight, it was like 90, I'm sorry, 87 it was made in 95, but it was portraying 1987, uh, yep. Los Angeles, um, the San Fernando Valley, the San Fernando Valley, also known as the Valley, right? Also known as the Valley. Yeah. We just call it the Valley here in LA cause we're cool. And we're like, yeah, Valley, baby. that's true. That's A lot of my talking. favorite movies take place in the Valley. Yeah. Well, this movie, man, um, got even more this time around as I'm sure you did. But, uh, why, why did this movie kind of reach out to you why did it beckon out um kind of initially what why did it enter the conversation as as your choice i guess well i think it's kind of a hidden gem yeah i i think it's a really great film first and foremost um secondly you know from an acting standpoint (laughs) julianne moore in this movie gives such a amazing layered performance in a part that is not easy. I mean, not a easy. very, very difficult part. I think her performance is fascinating and like really incredible. Um, so Couldn't that's something that jumped out to me. Um, also, I think it just relates, you know, to the time period that we're in right now. I mean, I remember seeing this movie as a kid, and it's one of those movies that I was watching late at night, probably knew I wasn't supposed to be seeing. And when I think of it, you know, I have these visions of the people in the face masks and with the oxygen tanks. And, you know, those are all, for better or worse, very visceral images that we're dealing with currently, you know. Mm -hmm. So it really made me think of that. Um, 
It's a movie that focuses on hysteria. It's a movie that focuses on what your mind can do to you in a panicked situation. Um, yeah, anxiety. Like you, your preface before was a uh, very good. Yeah, oh, definitely. And, yeah, because I'm watching this watching movie and it, I'm like, I feel like I'm watching a horror movie. I'm scared. I'm. Oh my god. Oh god. And and it's just yeah. it's just the the camera work is very minimal. It's oh, a very, very minimalistic film. Yet there is just this driving knife like just dagger of like anxiety and and her yes. world her world's kind of crumbling around her kind of yes vibe. it's very chilling and it's mm. it's also very funny you know so that's a really it's funny a movie stuff. that i like because it is it is really funny there are some like truly laugh out loud moments in the film and Absolutely. i think like with coronavirus or COVID-19, whatever you want to call it, there's some real laugh out loud moments in this thing. Just the, the, Rona. the sheer ridiculousness of it and some of the things that come up and 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 the hysteria and and all those kind of things. And in the same way, this film, there's a lot of stuff that you're like, man, I probably shouldn't be laughing at this. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like it's, it's pretty serious stuff. Well, but right. it's hilarious. I think it, it's, a, it's such a genre straddler, uh, which is probably... You know, isn't always the best for the box office because, um, I mean, this uh, no, this was an independent, <laughs> this was an independent movie, and I actually just watched uh, a really good about thirty minute interview, which, which is on YouTube, our teacher YouTube. Uh, it was uh, five; it's about five years old for the uh, the what would then been the twentieth anniversary kind of retrospective, and it was the screening of the movie, and it was a Q and A, and yeah, he was saying how you know indie film was 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 kind of emerging at the time. And they're really grateful that they were able to have the opportunity to do something so bold and something so different and something so daring. Um, totally. And it was they raised a million dollars. So even in '95, a million wasn't a killing killing for a movie. I mean, when you th- when you hear a million dollars, you think that's a lot of money. But to make to make a movie of you know with with moving parts and whatnot, obviously it was. That is that is not a lot of money. That is not a lot of money at all. That's not that a lot is, of money at all. No. 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 Uh, to put things into perspective, it was the most expensive film at the time, but Terminator 2, which would have been four years before this, um, was $100 million. That was Terminator <laughs> 2, but, you know, yeah. most, most movies Well, very, were... very similar films. <laughs> yeah, it's really the same movie in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, it's, a lot of people say Todd Haynes ripped off uh, Terminator 2 for yeah. safe, you know. That, Julianne that's, Moore's, that's big uh, on the blogs. Yeah, Carol, Carol White's very much like the Sarah Connor um but no, okay, I'm done. But yeah, uh, no, she gives me she gives me Arnold vibes or Edward <laughs> Furlong. I, I can't decide. Yeah, but uh, they knew they were doing something kind of out there, and they said that oh, yeah. that because they went the medium that they did, it kind of took the pressure off. The expectation of box office wasn't really there. They wanted to do something um, a little a little bit different, and this would have been his only second feature i guess there was one he calls it a short but it was pretty like long short it's about about an hour right the um the, the movie superstar yeah yeah okay so, but yeah so it's his it's his second feature yeah, um, second and poison is, is a pretty well respected film i actually haven't seen it but i mean i know a lot of people who like it and yeah. uh i think this was certainly a curveball for him um right. if you saw poison saw him as a director this is not something that you would have like really seen coming, you know. Yeah. But but then again, this this film is kind of unlike many other films I've seen, you know. I, it's really it out there in its remind- own little universe, isn't it? 
yeah, it doesn't remind me of a lot of stuff, you know, like eco horror, you know? Yeah, eco horror. Oh my God. That's great. It's, there's like what? There's the happening or whatever that Mark oh, Wahlberg, yeah. M. Night Shyamalan movie is. The crappening. Just, I, it's, well, anyway, I don't want to, I don't want to be a, a negative what? guy, but. No, uh, no, it's a, it's a beautiful it, film with a nuanced performance from Mark Wahlberg. Uh, I love him, and I love I yeah, love M Night actually, I, and I think that he I do tries, too. tries a lot I, of radical things and oh, like I think Todd he's Haynes, great. you know he's yeah. I think this movie really um, is bold and daring, and I love that that it's operating in the kind of indie world because it allowed them it gave them the kind of safe space to operate in where they knew they were doing something pretty out there, and they knew that. Uh, film's kind of one of those like double-edged blades because it's like you want to be new. You don't want to be chasing after the second you start chasing, which is why sequels have so much trouble. It's the trap to kind of chase what made. That's why there's only like really a handful of like truly good sequels in my opinion. But uh, the ability to kind of chase something new, but also do it palatably enough that audiences get it. Totally. I, I heard Todd Haynes saying that like the initial critical response wasn't it wasn't bad it wasn't panned, but he used the word grapple like audiences and critics alike were grappling with this movie. But I think as a filmmaker, that's kind of what you want. I mean, right? Totally. And, and it's not the ideas. thing is it's it's not a movie that's like spoon fed to you. And absolutely not. You you look at Julianne Moore's character. I think Carol, right? That's her name. Yeah, Carol. Carol White. Yeah. Carol White. What a what a perfectly named name. I know. And it's San Fernando Valley. White, like it's just like a blank tabula rosa, uh well Yeah. White blank. I mean slate. she she's not a she's not an incredibly strong character. No. She's a character who has trouble even speaking throughout yeah, the film. Totally. She's the always trying to find end. Yeah. She's always trying to find the words to speak. She's always fumbling over her own words. You know, mm-hmm. it's very she's a hard central character to to identify with because as a filmmaker what he does is he he kind of keeps you at arm's length from her for for most of the film, you know? So you're kind of an outsider looking at what's happening and you don't get a lot of internal monologue or idea from our titular right. character. And it's hard to life. really know what exactly and that's why, again, the performance is so nuanced and so layered and 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 yeah and strong. And and Julianne Moore, my intro to Julianne Moore was as and I feel like she often plays uh, like very alpha female, like mom. Like I feel like uh, Boogie Nights as uh, I oh, think yeah. was my intro to her. And I've I think I saw her in stuff. in Lebowski. I think I saw her in Lebowski. The oh first yeah, time. that would have yeah. been that would have been just what a year or two before. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I didn't watch it in chronological actually, order. I, think, I don't they're think about but... around the same time. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. you're right. I think Big Lebowski was was my was my intro to Julianne Moore. So I'm wrong, but I think when I really became aware of her as like a powerhouse actress was from Boogie Nights, and I was so oh yeah, I was so attracted to her for so many reasons. And I was like, she's not your usual kind of like model bombshell, but she has this just power to her. Uh, and yes. this movie really, I guess is given the honor uh where's the where's the accolade of of exposing her and and showing everyone and if you watch this movie you're like oh my god and i think she was 35 i'm 36 uh i'm like good god to to give this kind of like you said layered different perspective and and uh and and now in kind of juxtaposition with her most of her body of work it's a very different uh kind of role and like you said a very uh 
she is pretty meek. And um, actually, Xander Berkeley, who is, plays Todd in uh, in uh, Terminator 2, is the husband. Yeah. Greg. So maybe that was a subliminal <laughs> connection there. Uh, so I That's was already, what I like to see. Uh, yeah, man. And he is fantastic. Yeah, he's great. Uh, the acting in this movie, the acting in this movie overall is really good. I, I think it's it's a really well acted film, and it's one of those hard things to do where there's a, a very definite tone to it and a very definite stylistic choice for the acting, which I think personally can go one of two ways. Sometimes it's either really awesome or it's so unbelievable and really kind of yanks you out of it. Yeah, because like you said, it's this is a weird space that we're in Mm. Uh, a very unsafe dive into and and, you know julia moore portrays this kind of kept and she's already kind of in her it kind of bookends for me like it starts like she's in this world where she's in her house and there it's a beautiful home in the san fernando valley and her biggest concern is what color couch like you joked earlier but and she's like oh this isn't right this isn't the right color oh and then the workers come in uh dean norris actually is third build I don't even think he has a line, but I love him from Breaking Bad, and he's one of my favorite actors. Yeah, I got to meet him uh, working in New Mexico on Breaking Bad, and he's such a great guy. That's so cool. When I saw his name, I was like, oh, God, and he's third build, but he's like, he doesn't even have a line. But but there's so many parts that are minimalistic, and you said kind of um, you don't really know what's going on in their head, and actually uh, Todd Haynes says it really well in his – that interview I was just referring to, the retrospective of the the 20th anniversary one where he calls it limiting access to the character. Yeah. So we get this kind of like muted, muffled kind of, and it creates this own world of restriction of this existential pacing. And I actually had just recently watched a uh, 2001 space odyssey in 4k. Cause I just got a new iMac and has a retina like 4k monitor. And I watched 2001. So 2001 was already ringing in my mind. And I found myself thinking about, and obviously Kubrick, he's moving the camera around like, like crazy, you know, but you oh, get yeah. these like empty kind of uh, innocuous kind of everything's white and it, it, it and literally he's he brought up 2001 in the interview after I watched it. And I was starting to do my homework and I was like, yeah, I definitely caught it. Like, obviously, you know, 2001 is one of those groundbreaking movies that I think just changed cinema and, and Kubrick is one of those just totally, you know, leaves it. And leaves I think a mark it, it's influenced. You it's influenced a lot of cinema. You know what I mean? Yeah. Obviously it's, it's one of the most influential. It's like, it's like a band being like, Oh, we're influenced by the Rolling Stones. Yeah. You, know, you ever hear like, of the Beatles? We, like, no, yeah. yeah it's like, yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, right. Crazy. Exactly. Yeah. But no, at the same time, I think those kind of, um, sterile environments, you know, Love it. from 2001, uh, is what I think of when I think of that, that film. I yeah. Think of how sterile things seem. Yeah. Cold. Uh, up there. Cold that and cold, disconnected. Sterile, squeaky clean, kind of soulless. Soulless. Mm. Vernacular that, that is created in that film is really pre- prevalent throughout this film, you know? Absolutely. And, you know, even when it starts, you know, it's, it's very, everything is so empty. You know, Carol White is alone at her home. It, it's just the, the maid who's there, which I have to say, a touch of really great filmmaking. Um, which is only really a secondary part in the film, but very cool. 
is the division between the workers in the homes and uh, the kind of yuppie families who are living and and living their life. And they're always separated by something. They're in different rooms or Mm. they're separated by an archway or they're partitioned off. Uh, Even in the scene where she gets up and she's not feeling well and she asks um, her, I think, uh, her maid um, for a glass of milk. Right. Yep. When it goes in between the two rooms in the kitchen, where there's, uh, you know, Latinx workers, uh, they are listening to a Spanish radio station, and that's what you hear. And then when it cuts back to her alone in that kind of caustic, hollow environment, you hear her listening to to CNN or whatever, and they're talking about assisted suicide, which was uh, a big thing at the time, you know. But that's in English, and the division between those two classes is is very prevalent, you know. And I think that's mm. obviously something that he he wanted to make a comment about which he does in a a very kind of subtle cool way wow man that's so well said yeah he even he even says uh the correlation with 2001 that there's this air of recycled air and you said sterile you're like Mm -hmm. he wanted to apply that obviously 2001 set in space but to apply that to the kind of like middle america or whatever um and uh, yeah upper upper middle class upper middle class for sure kind uh, of yuppie 80s environment, you know? And I yeah. think a really cool touch is uh, upon second second or third watch here is is um when she's kind of inundated in society, there's pop music that's playing. And it's pop music at the time. You hear Madonna's Lucky Star and all this kind of stuff. And then when she's in her own kind of unsure caustic environment, it's that really haunting low synth that mm. is prevalent throughout the film, which is just beautiful and a really, really cool choice by the director. Oh man, this is so cool, Chase. Yeah, man. Uh, yeah, thanks for thanks for folding me in on this movie. Um, it's it's it, it's yeah. It's like you said. It feels kind of simple from a kind of cinematic perspective. The camera doesn't really move a heck of a lot, but you're talking about composition, um, the framing, uh, and there is a lot really going on that it's kind of a duality where it's very complicated actually. And we're getting, and you know, like Todd Haynes calls it the restriction of access psychologically, even, and you're talking about even physically, like showing it in the frame. Um, I almost feel like Xander Berkeley loves her, but there's always this kind of like, there's the moment where they're going to hook up and she's not feeling well. And he's like, what is it this time? You know, like, it's like, oh, I go to work all day and I work my ass off. You're, what are you doing? Yeah. I come home. You can't have a headache every day of the week. Yeah, you can't have a headache every day of the week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like actually, uh, you it's can. like actually you can. Yeah, yeah. yeah right. I think. And he's understanding you know, her, and loving, but there's that element of like you're here to be my 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 lady. He's that fucking '80s capitalist kind of yeah. sleazo right. that you know is so perfectly played. Where he's not necessarily a terrible guy, but you can tell he thinks that oh, I bring home the bread. I'm the breadwinner, so I set the rules here and kind of the parameters. Right. And you're my arm candy, you know. And yeah. and he does love and care about her. I think you can see that throughout the film. There are, are points like when he goes to see her. Um, you know, right. later, obviously, yeah, when they go to Renwood to and, right. and all that kind of stuff, you can you can see there's a touch of like very delicateness there that he's he's treading on on this this hollowed ground, which you can see that evolution of his character from thinking she's just like, you know, 
being ridiculous to actually understanding that there's something very serious going on and, and, and treading lightly. Oh, that's, uh, that's but, beautiful. Mm-hmm. You know, it's hard because she has to answer to a lot of men in the film who just really aren't listening to her. Her doctor? Her doctor, the psychiatrist. Yeah. Even to an extent, the guy at Renwood, you know? he yeah. He's very much on his own kind of pathos and... Sure, he has to hear what she has to say, but even when she talks about, she's like, oh, I can feel the fumes and, <clears throat> and that kind of stuff. I think they're coming to my house. And he's like, yeah, you need to talk to so-and-so about that, like the other woman. Like, yeah, that's, yeah. that's the woman that you should really talk to. As he comes in and just kind of imparts these like faux spiritual little lines and, and then kind of leaves, you know. So right. um, it's kind of her having no ownage in the situation and, and all these sort of white men telling her what to do. That is really well said, and and yeah, um, and even the husband Xander Berkeley, he's he thinks this is what is good for her, but I think deep down he's like still like I think she's a little nuts. Um, yes, and I think that what this movie does so well, and you said the ambiguity of, and like there's so much open to interpretation that, and I think this is the kind of for me emotional core of the whole thing is that we perceive our world, but it's all in our head. So whether if whether it's our mind, it's like in the Matrix, you get shot by a bullet, you really feel it. Like if you believe that you're that the stimulus that surrounds us is, is toxic or poisonous, um, then I think it's going to manifest itself physically. And she does physically break out. She gets like she gets to the one scene where she's bleeding everywhere in the hospital. That is abs- and her doctor whom you brought up, who's like, there's nothing wrong with you, you know, but. Um, yeah, it doesn't show up on the scan. It doesn't show up, it doesn't on, the show up on the test. It's like, dude, she's but she's bleeding, emitting out of her nose. bile. She's emitting bile out of her mouth and bleeding yeah. it and, and oh, spasming, horrific. like blood out know, of the mouth. That's that gets me, man. That's it's just like that's a line for uh, me, you know. But but I think it's uh, Stephen Gilborn as Doctor Hubbard. I just want to uh, showcase some of these these actors' names here. Yeah, you know, he does a great job as that typical, just kind of red mead American. You know, man in charge who's like yeah. this. This spiritual Wicca is is you know impeding on my territory. Right? You know? She's got a case of the crazies. But it's Get ultimately it's ultimately uh, where she sees the ad for the for the center in Albuquerque. And I actually lived for in Renwood. Al- yeah. yeah, I lived I lived in New Mexico for five years. I was working on films there, so that that really jumped out of me. I was like, oh my goodness. Um, yeah, and I vibe. think you know. There, it's crazy, right? Because I think as a viewer, there are some things that you can see in the film where you're like, "Oh my God, this is like these people have lost it," you know, like this mm-hmm. this is insane, and 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 I can't believe they've convinced themselves that that this is real, you know. Right. But after watching the film, I looked it up, and like environmental sensitivity and environmental illness is like a real thing. It really is, and right? it's something that really affects people, and and is a big deal you yeah. know which which i had no idea about it, it seems like something that's made up as a ploy in a film you know right right um, yeah she finds but, the flyer but, it's like is the environment getting you down you know yeah yeah do you smell fumes <laughs> you know? but yeah uh, i mean uh, the stim- stimulus stimulus is a word that just popped into my head a lot and i i, I know that the, when this movie was made really it was hiv that was kind of the hot button issue at the time yeah but now and i think now i COVID, think todd haynes says you know? todd haynes says that the, you know this has a lot to do with the aids pandemic and kind of hysteria surrounding it right and, and kind of the healing culture of like healing yeah. centers and 
And is it a satire? And you said it's really there is this really really funny moment. So you're like, oh, it's hilarious. It a, I mean, is it a satire? If we, we want to brighten it up, if we want to brighten it up a little bit and talk about some of the funniest moments, I mean, you know, her saying she's a real milkaholic, as I talked yeah, about earlier, is I, I was that. just dying laughing and. And, you know, when she's yeah. in there and the doctor's got the syringe and she's like spasming over the milk and he's like, oh, wow, Ugh. that's that's quite a reaction. Yeah. You know, and uh, that is oh, what's funny. the other one? The kid, the kid, when he's doing that horrible school report on gangs. Oh, my like, God. What gang violence in the San, now, San Fernando Valley. And it's just like perfectly portrays white privilege and like what people believe the disconnect gang really. culture to be the disconnect. And he's yeah. like. He's like, Dad, how do you spell Uzi? And he's like, just like it sounds, son, Uzi. I. I know. I was like, oh, okay, that's that's how you spell Uzi. Now I know. But uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, and the kid, and not to jump to the end too early, but like, the kid doesn't really seem connected to her at all. Like, like you said, there's this no. kind of separation, and it's like, oh, I want, I can't wait to heal so I can come back, but you weren't really connected. Uh, the last shot of the kid that we see is like he's like very much on the periphery of the edge of the frame and he's like kicking their dirt and he's just like kind of looking down totally. and his, you know and he's like looking down while the parents are talking in the field and then and then there's that moment where she's like oh you're cologne or something and he's like oh I'm not wearing any cologne and it's like well maybe you're you're deodorant and he's like okay like I, I think that was that yeah. moment where the the film is saying that the connection's over like there never really was. One, I right, think. I think it's it's, it's obviously a strange thing, you know. It's like you come to find these context clues about her life you don't really know in the beginning, and mm-hmm. it seems like the son doesn't respect her and all that kind of stuff. And then you find out that she's actually the stepmom, which she she talks about with the therapist, and that's always a, a very troubled relationship or can. Right, you're already having the it's already the putting the step there just solidifies the yeah the distance of so, it. It's like she's kind of walking into this situation where she has no respect and she's just kind of going through the motions right. in, in these sort of society, these this yuppie society, what she thinks she needs to do. You yeah, know? yeah. Go to these aerobic classes. And, oh, my God. Oh, she's like this the interesting classes, the fruit spandex. diet. You know, like, oh, yeah, the fruit oh let's, be, let's be bad and, like, crazy and do this fruit let's diet do it together. with herbal tea, you know? And, like, and, and, and that was a, her friend, right? Um yeah, her friend, yeah. and that, that seemed like kind of the the apex of like their bond was them talking about their fruit diet that they're gonna do together. Like they're even in her conversations with her supposed like friends. Yeah, uh, the birthday party. Um, obviously, she starts to have like a, an episode there, and that that moment was horrible. Right. And then like the kids like, the kids like, oh my god, mama. Oh man. The you know, oh my god, that that part really, I was like. Honestly, I, I was standing up pacing my I was like starting to my palms were starting to sweat during those yeah. moments. It's really Me intense, too. Man. I was I was fighting like shortness of breath at certain times oh. throughout the film and this kind of caustic feeling and and you know, that interaction at the birthday party, those whole scenes are fascinating. They like, really are. That's a very interesting part of the film. That's a really good window s- in kind of that Americana like birthday party of like who yeah. we all are and, and you could just feel our disconnect and, and how kind of banal it all was anyone who kind of doesn't fit the part of what they have in mind this like very surface sort of like interaction and like who they've built themselves to be they're, they're looked at as freaks you know and it's like 
she's like sitting out on the outside. She's like a little a low energy. She's not feeling well, you know. And they're like, "Man, what's wrong with Carol?" Yeah, you know. They're she like, "Oh, I heard she went. She doesn't want to have she went cake to the with psychiatrist. us." Yeah, yeah. She's like, "Man, I heard she went to the psychiatrist. Like, is she okay? Is uh, she losing it? You know? Yeah. Like, like it's it's almost an inconvenience on their on them. life." That, yeah, that and then even the kids like, oh god, into their mold. the kids like, this yeah. isn't a safe birthday party anymore. This person's freaking out, and it it almost seems like, yeah, I think you nailed it. Like they're like, how dare you kind of bring your drama into our like little bubble of perfect like middle American yeah. Americana. And when she's acting perfect and sitting there, the daughter is like, oh, I drew you as a princess, you know. And then as soon as she and you can tell the daughter has love for her and all this kind of stuff, a connection. And then as soon as she's like. Oh, has that panting and that freak out and you see that that horrific change on the child's face what a visceral scene yeah um, that kid and, nailed and, it that kid really nailed the like the the disgust like she just immediately gets up she's like mommy and like detaches herself you know yeah she's like, this person is marked as like a sick being and i want to do everything i can to get away from them yeah we're just trying to eat our our cake that's gonna they're like eat it fast it's gonna melt it's it's eat it yeah, fast. The ice cream cake so yeah. obsessed with the idea that if you don't eat it right away it's gonna melt like it's the, again that's the kind of allegory there like that's this the perfect but it's but it's melting and it's it's crumbling this yeah. this look into what should be a perfect privileged bubble and seeing the restriction and her world kind of crum- crumbling and then when she goes to reach out to her supposed yeah the husband ultimately helps her and supports her but uh, she's almost like, and, and you know what? She apologizes a lot. I noticed. Sorry, a lot. Sorry, a lot. Like, oh, I can't have sex with you because I have a, the worst headache of my life, and I think I'm dying. Sorry, sorry. And then she's like, no, yeah. no, honey, it's fine. Um, and I, I really picked up on that. And she just kind of wears this face of like deer in the headlights, kind of reacting. And yeah, you don't really know. And that's why the performance is so good because she doesn't come off necessarily ignorant or dumb or slow no. or anything. But no, there's that disconnect between she's always like her eyes and her face. And she kind of always has that smile of like and it's always like the processing eyes. Um, yeah, like she's she's playing a part, you know, she, she's she's slipped into this role role of what she yeah. thinks she's supposed to be. And those those. I love the scenes of her late at night when her husband's asleep. And she's kind of pacing around their weirdly empty house and she's going out into the garden um, and she's having those moments. And, and then that one moment she's connecting with nature and and breathing and, and feeling something. And then it's like, whoop, and there's a police officer right there. Yeah. Shining the light. And you're like, ma'am, ma'am, is everything OK? Like, you know? yeah, yeah. She's like, oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. Yeah, and immediately goes inside, and it's like, look, someone should have the right to go out and stroll in their garden if they want to. Yeah, you know? that but, moment but reminded any... me of um that that gave it this noir, this yes. noir edge. And I know you know Southern California, you think of like uh, you know Sunset Boulevard or whatever. There's there's a, there's a rich like legacy of noir. Chinatown. Yeah, Chinatown, which uh, I got to see at the cemetery a couple of years ago. Oh, um, that's awesome. Which is Hollywood Forever Cemetery, and they've canceled it all this year anyway. Not to get into that. But yeah, this again the genre the genre blend of like now it just kind of feels like she's a noir in her own life. She's like, you know, kind of brooding, and then once finally somebody else sees it, it kind of breaks that moment. Uh, there was a moment where where she gets to the, the center. What was it called again? Um, Renwood. Renwood. She's at Renwood, and she's like, ah, nature. Ah, and she's going for a hike by herself, and and then <laughs> yeah. she almost. And then it's this like serene moment, and then it's interrupted. It's like she almost gets like pet cemeteryed by this giant truck, and she's like, oh, like you know, yeah, as if 
she's finally like finding some peace and then this like truck almost kills her it's an amazing moment. It, yeah. I, I literally was laughing for like I laughed five too. minutes after. I was just laughing so hard. Like I know. And it was jarring to the audience member, me and you. Where it was just but it, yeah, again, the the impinging of yep. society, the impinging of and what she's allergic to. Like this is a this is you know, Todd Haynes calls it a disease movie. Um, apparently Wes Craven said it was the scariest movie in 95 to get back to Wes. Um, huge. Oh, Wes, baby. Wes, RIP. Love you, man. Um, but he said it was the scariest movie in 95. And yeah, you know, the horror maestro saying you have the, and I looked up on Wikipedia. It was like, this is a psychological horror. And I like the word horror kept popping up, but it is, I yeah. think it's one of those just, it's everywhere, but it's showing how the society that we built around us is the disease, right? Like totally. Um, I think we reached for it for the disease kind of element, uh, the quarantining, the mask, the the famous shot of Lester with the mask, and and I was oh, yeah. like, I was like, oh, is that Julianne Moore? I don't know. She's got a mask on, but it's the pollutants like hairsprays and 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 oh my god, when she's driving and she has to pull off the road and she pulls into that like parking garage, that's oh, I was man, like, she's gonna horrible. crash. She's gonna crash. It's horrible. And, and, and yeah, those exhausts come pumping out of the back of the car. And the way that they make oh, make everyday things sinister and right. like things that people look at as these huge luxuries, you know, like getting your hair permed and getting your nails done. She's like, you didn't like, call ahead about the perm, but I should be yeah. fine anyway. It's- but but as it's happening, the way it's filmed, it's so like foreboding. It is. You know, you you see that the the chemicals seeping into her head, and right. you look at the lacquer going on her nails, and and you know how sensitive she is to this stuff. You're like, already, oh god, here it comes. Just, you're just like, no, 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 yeah. no, 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 no. But like, how many times have you seen people get hair dyed or get their nails done, and you'd never think that? Right, it's a banal everyday. Would never cross your mind. Never. Yeah, cross your mind. I love how you put that. Uh, making everyday things sinister, but. That's because the world has been changing so fast. And in the last 25 years, I mean, there's more people on the road. We got China's on the road now. That's another billion people on the road. You know, we've moved into this kind of, there's a line from uh, Shawshank Redemption that always pops into my head, that it pops into my head. It's like, oh, the world just went ahead and got itself in a big hurry. You know, like she is a victim, whether or not it's psychosomatically manifested from her spot in the beginning of powerlessness and it's 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 her leverage trying to assert itself or whatever it's her body reacting to that kind of being shrunken and put in a bubble um or it's really and i think the film's just trying to say it, it doesn't really matter whether or not she's actually developed like a physical allergy or not like if your mind totally. perceives it but the moral of the story is the infrastructure of our reality and, and Todd hayes calls it like a post-industrial um reaction and like the world's just gotten noisier and bigger. And if anything, this quarantine now, one of those beautiful things, and I know you've noticed it, that we're, we live in L.A. I mean, we live in Car, Car, Car Haven, which the movie is portrayed in, you know, like I yep. said, the valley. But now we can see. And now that we're all like we're not driving. And I've actually been making a point to ride my bike as much as possible. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't really I've like loved that I'm not getting in my car. And I'm kind of like, Me too. man, nature's kind of reasserted itself. There's a reclamation. Like, you can see things. You, the visibility is better than ever. Uh, the pollution levels are, are lower than ever. Um, totally. And I kind of am almost like this kind of sinister, not sinister, but I'm like, man, we're the, maybe we're the disease, you know? And I think that this movie is saying that. Like, all this Certainly. stimulation, all this 
infrastructure, cars and exhaust and chemicals. And yeah, we're, we're, we're totally. so, we don't, we don't like, you don't, you don't know what chemicals are in everyday things. Like if you were to look at the back of your hairspray bottle, I mean, methyl, ethyl, blethanol, like, you know, but that's just the way it is. And we've become, yeah, it's normal. I mean, this, now. this movie made me think of my grandma a lot, you know, because like growing up in Oregon, Oregon's a very earth conscious place, you know, I mean, they were recycling before almost any other state and put a big, um, sort of onus on educating people about that and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, like in the early 90s, my grandma was like one of the first people on this tip where she was like, oh, you got to look at what's in your food. And, and you know, uh, back then people would be like, oh, she's so paranoid and, yeah, and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just like, you what know, these people. And then yeah. the studies, then the studies come out and it's like all these things she told us to avoid, like hydrogenated oil and all these kind of things that are like massive carcinogens and, and, and different stuff. It's like, oh, looks like grandma was right you know yeah and i think which is a good transition i think we should really dive into like when she goes to renwood yeah right for sure we've gotten a lot of the yuppie stuff out of the way like right. that whole living in that society i love it so she she goes to renwood and the second she gets there pulling up in that taxi you have that woman oh my coming god up, and she comes out she's who like is back just, away back away back away get away and, and you pull up and it's such a inimpressive looking place, you know. Yeah, it, it looks very shanty. And there's cars parked. There's and, cars parked like right where they pull up. I noticed. Yeah, and so it was just like it's a really weird where you kind of think she's going to an oasis, and right before that, she's like looking out the window, and it's beautiful. The mountains. And she's like, oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like this look of like, oh, I'm finally going. She's like, I'm doing it. I'm doing this. I'm doing it. Yeah, you know? like I'm going to this yeah. beautiful place, and and this is such a dark. Yeah, this movie's such a dark comedy in that way, where it gets there and it immediately breaks it up, and you have this yeah. like, desperate woman yelling in in this kind of like shitty looking hovel, like you know, covered in gravel. I know, and I really, I really hated that woman in that moment. I was really angry because, and this is great that we're talking about this because the movie does such a good job, like the truck moment, uh, the cop when she's meditating, where she's outside, and the cops like all like yeah. in her you know, prying into our life. Again, there's this, like you said, the juxtaposition of this beautiful journey into the country um, in, in Albuquerque. And uh, and I was really kind of reminiscing about Albuquerque because I used to live there. And uh, it is such a beautiful open place and the air is so clean. And uh, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden, you know, get back, get back. And you know she's right. Cause, totally. Because this, this is why they're here. They're here to, to, to be in this cocoon where they're uh, – safe right um quote unquote from the stimulus and uh pollution and the environment and all that uh chemicals right uh but then the movie just makes you kind of already like hate the place a little bit and hate that woman for and then you find out that her husband's like about to pass away and it's it is of course course she's why would she be you know but i just wanted to like punch that woman Because it was so jarringly yeah. done in the movie, and it was such a, I mean, like you yeah, said, it was a cold intro to be like, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's just, um, uh, it's it's a jarring introduction. It's and a it jarring like introduction. Shakes you, it shakes you out of, like, one of the few kind of beautiful, serene moments that are in this film. Right. Which is that drive. Yeah. It just immediately punches you in the throat. Yeah, and you're just like, and all then, right, and we're back. Here's some crazy lady. Like, Here we go. And you're like, oh, this is, this is going to be weird. You know, like, I was watching it with Farrah. I was watching with Farah. It was her first watch, and that happened. And after, and she's like, "Oh, she was like, you know, this place is gonna be weird." Here we go. And I was like, "Oh, oh, oh, you just wait," you know. And so you get in there, and 
they're hey, having these meetings, and they lay down the tenets, which I can't remember all the tenets, but a, a, a Cliff Notes version of them are like no drugs and alcohol. Right. Um, they want you to like dress modestly, not engage in sexual activity. Yeah. And you know, there's like quiet meals, like there's no talking during like breakfast and lunch which immediately seems like all these ways of really like controlling people you yeah know? And, and this kind of like bizarre cult like cult like mind control setting all these these things right you know? and you can see it on her face this you know when she gets to renwood it's kind of the first time we begin to see her character's real kind of like actual emotions you know yeah like she's that first reacting moment. to this new stimulus like so again to make the the division like in the beginning she's in her own world yes she's isolated yes she's lonely uh mm-hmm. she starts to get sick but yeah for the first time we see her in a new environment with new stimulus because it's like it's the routine like the hair yep. the, the 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 cl- the exercise classes she looks great yeah up pink spandex by the way purple spandex but anyway that's a that's not sector for but uh that's a different podcast that's a different podcast julian moore spandex tonight at <laughs> uh but then yeah and then like you said we're in this new world and we get to see her and after the first day of assimilating all this she has kind of a quiet cry in her in her cabin but again cut short by right there by the, the woman. woman and she just comes she's, in she's right there she's like oh I mean, oh baby oh and and, and again it, it, i'm angry at her even though i know she's like probably gonna help and she thinks she ultimately does help um carol yes. but yeah again like don't come into my cabin motherfucker like i just i just got here yo like it's so beautiful and jarring because it's like the first real sincere emotional moment we get you know yeah where she's really breaking and you're starting to see that she's like unraveling, but, but in a good way where she's starting to reveal her kind of real traits and like feel things really how they are, you know, not this kind of part that she's playing. Yeah. And it's just immediately broken up by this woman. And I laughed then too. Like I laughed when she came in. I was like, Oh oh my, like, Oh my God. You know? Yeah. I know. She just sees herself in and she's like, let me help you, stranger. Yeah, and the way it's shot is so awesome. That shot of her, the way she underframe and cuts the frame Mm. and and everything like that is just such a cool touch. Yeah. Um, And yes, so so you have that part and... What's her name? Claire? Claire, right? Kate? Yes, Kate McGregor Stewart is... is, Yeah, I got the cast list up here. Uh, Peter Dunning... um, played by Peter Friedman. So a Peter playing a Peter and he does a great job as a, and yeah, like right away you're like, yes, they want to help, but it has this kind of, like you were saying, the cult brainwashing kind of, yeah. And And, it makes sense to want to separate the stimulus. And this is our safe from the outside world, but it almost seems like it's kind of putting them into a new bubble. And then at the very end of the movie, she goes into the igloo and it kind of seals it up. Oh God. Uh, oh god. Well, I mean, yeah, that's that's kind of the not to jump ahead, but the the final chapter, right? I mean, yeah. to get to that point because I want to talk about that point, but you know, she gets there, there they interrupt that moment and then we meet this guy who has a bizarre speech in his intro anyway and just seems like kind of an untrustworthy right 
guy. You're talking you know, about uh, like, Peter, right? The the leader. Yes, the leader. Who's who's uh, like uh, he's got AIDS, right? Is that it? So then AIDS yes, kind of flashes yes. back into your head as the kind of he's got drop. AIDS. So it's like you, you kind of feel for him, you know. And usually characters who have AIDS are are portrayed as these like very like sympathetic characters and a lot of stuff like that in film. You know what I mean? Right. Like, Obviously, because it's a horrible situation and everything like that. But even so, you just, like, don't trust him. And there's something going on. And then he comes and he talks to her. And he's like, oh, yeah, you got to talk to so-and-so about that, you know. And he's just here, there to, like, impart these little wisdoms. And, and then you see him when they're in that group therapy session, that circle. And he says such a weird line where he's just like, I hear everyone going through this pain. And I... I hear them talk about these things that are deep inside them and it just makes me feel lucky that I'm not like that anymore and that I feel the way I do now or something to the effect like that. And you're like, oh my God. And he's like, he's put your gun like, away. It was like the kind of crabby old lady and she was like, I just want to yeah. shoot their heads off or whatever. Or that's how I w- used to be. Yeah, but he, you can tell he's just like feeding on their misery and kind of like using it to like trump himself up and and he feels really good about about having these kind of like you know, shattered souls around them. There's an and, ego and that trip to a degree. Yeah, and that part's really interesting too because basically what happens is everyone who's there ends up admitting that this sickness kind of came from some sort of emotional disturbance. You know, that it's not necessarily environmental after all. Right. That, you know, it it leaves a lot of debate. There's a lot for. Yeah. And that's what I was kind of talking about earlier, how I think Todd Haynes is really exploring that physical slash emotional or psychological slash physical are are very similar because we are we are creatures of our minds. Mm -hmm. Um, And yes, there's a lot of physical things going on, but uh is there really a difference? And I think that's kind of, to me, the main kind of thesis statement of the movie. Um, yes. Now, granted, I think it's a very complicated movie, and I, I don't want to try to like put it in a nutshell at all because it's so layered and, and so textured. And and this, and I'm very new to it, so I'm kind of still. I'm actually, I'm gonna probably watch it again in the next little while. And I've been recommending it to everybody since I watched it like two days ago. But just watching it again now, it really feels like he's really pushing that kind of does it matter if it's in their minds or not? Um, Right. And I think what he's saying basically is when there's emotional trauma, when there's mental illness, when there's things like that, it ends up manifesting itself in all these different ways. Right. And it doesn't really matter if it's about the core root of the thing or not. It doesn't matter if it's about the car fumes or the fact that Claire realizes she's living in this vapid existence not living at herself as herself completely detached from herself and reality yeah and has to that darkness that's inside her and those feelings of self-hate and and all that kind of stuff may just manifest themselves in this sickness in the illness that she's suffering from right because something had to bring it to her attention and something had to jostle her out of her everyday existence and life. Yeah. And and really get her to realize that she has to love herself. I love that. Um, but it's it's funny. Uh, I guess originally critics said that the ending was happy when she goes into yeah. the igloo. But um, I, I was watching, like I said, I was watching the, this really good. Uh, it's on YouTube. It's about 30 minutes 
uh, interview with him for the I guess it was 2015 for the 20th anniversary, and and he was saying that yeah, I watched uh, I watched part of that too. Oh, good, good, yeah. Um, he really was influenced, I guess, by Douglas Sirk, who did like a lot of melodramas in the 50s and the 60s, and mm-hmm. kind of shows. And you could see it. And I remember having to study Cirque in film school, and we watched like all that Heaven Allows and uh, Oh yeah, Imitation of Life. Um, and he would have this false happy ending. Yeah. Kind of like Brazil, which is very much 1984, where they finally oh, succumb. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So it's like I finally am happy. Yep. And then we cut, and you're like, that is so. It's dark. so fucked. So it, fucked. It's, it's so dark. Oh and god, I'm getting goosebumps. And at the end, you're like. Yes, she's saying I love myself finally, right? So yes, so that's great because she does hate herself, and whether or not, like you were saying, beautifully said, these symptoms are are manifesting themselves out of that powerlessness of her, or that self hatred that she needs to reclaim her life. The the last five minutes of this movie are are they're they're just beautiful and heartbreaking. Like going from that part where she's making the pasta. Yeah with the guy through the little meal up to her talking to herself in the mirror. First off, just amazing, Ugh. amazing acting. Beautiful. She is absolutely nailing it where she finally, finally, finally peels back the layers and lets you see a little, a little bit of herself. Let's you really see kind of what peel the onion Carol's all about that. We never really get to see. Yeah. And it's heartbreaking it's heartbreaking in that moment and everything's so weird. And then the pop music kicks back in and it's like, she's just found herself in another weird society that she's having to play this role of. Starting all over it's again. like she, she opens up about, about, you know, feeling like she, she hates herself and she doesn't love herself. And then she has, you know, feels the, the onus to be like, oh yeah, and AIDS and the environment. And, you know, she's like struggling to like appease the the leader and stuff like that. And she only has this small fraction of time where she's actually being herself. And it's, it's just heartbreaking. And then she takes that walk to the igloo and she's so frail and she's so sickly looking. And uh, what's his name? Uh, the actress, James LaGrosse, who like, Kind of, they like make lasagna together for the dinner. Yes, and yeah. I get the and feeling that he's really obviously into her and like wants yeah, to be invited he, into the igloo, like by her. I guess. He, yes, yes, but but he he's showing her some real kind of love and care. You yeah, know? which I think is what she's looking for more than um, uh, Xander Berkeley really did. I mean, he does care, but like like we we're saying, the connection wasn't there. He's not able to fully care. He, he's not emotionally know? able. He doesn't have the emotional tools to like be there for her, really. No. You know? And then, you know, to, to put a cap on it, her talking to herself in the mirror in that strange little igloo that the last person was in there died. Oh, and I know. So it's probably haunted, right? <laughs> I'm sure it is. And and not only that, it kind of just seems oh, it's, like it's, it's opened like a, up because uh, the guy died. You can, a, we got the body out of there. It's fine. You can go yeah, in now. It, it just kind of <laughs> seems like it's like this last bastion, this last right. place you go, kind of like... It's almost this sense of rebirth by death or whatever. Yeah, you know? no, it's he like... says that. He says that it's kind of like a womb that uh, by... Yeah. And that's why it's ultimately kind of a dark... It's a very twisted, dark, kind of layered, textured ending that, again, like the it whole is. movie, open to interpretation because there is that, like, I love me. Totally. But to be fully safe, right, quote-unquote, 
Yes. You have to be a prisoner in an igloo of just you and like basically like it's so society, right? Like cars yep. and traffic and all this. It's all it's all byproduct of society. So it's man versus society is the main I mean there's a lot of a lot going on here, but I think man versus society is kind of the main conflict. Um man yeah. versus themselves in- for sure. Yeah, insulating, you know, the insulating. different ways that people insulating themselves and right. become insular, you know? Right. Her insulating herself in that igloo is no different than her yuppie friends insulating themselves with their aerobic class and their expensive couch and their, their world that they their, build around. Their them. dinners at that that uh that little cr- restaurant that they went to that was so cool. The lighting oh, and yeah, the ambiance. That, that guy telling the joke and then uh, Carol's like, oh, God. Of, Carol's not really, she's spacing out a bit. She's space cadetting a little. And then yeah. his reaction, and then she's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like it was her yeah. fucking fault. That, like, Yeah, every, everyone acts like she just committed, like like she just killed someone right in front of yeah, her Yeah, even the guy was like, yeah, he, she like that was a good joke. Game. That was a good joke. You should have go. You know there. that was a good joke, you right? Know? But yeah. like you said, playing the part in a role. Like I love that. Even there, it's like okay, uh, applause, applause break, and she's yeah. not listening, and everyone else no. is like, oh, oh, oh. it's like she didn't get the cue to be the yuppie, the yuppie audience member at that moment. Um, and I think that's really brilliant that you said that. I wasn't even thinking about that really, but and then it's mirrored by this uh, Redwood Center uh, again, just. Yep. When do you go to dinner? When do you cook? When do you, there's, right. It's all different ways of folding into a society. A conforming. And is one really better than the other? Right, Ultimately, right. you know, kind of in summation, at the end here, she does, I believe, start to love herself. I think she is going down the pathway of self-love, which, you know, I think is a real thing for a lot of people. I know for me, it's something that I struggled with a lot in my life and continue to. Oh, we all do. Yeah, it's hard, Meditation and spiritualism and stuff like that is a big gateway for me for that, you know, and it is for a lot of people, but it's also something that people use to prey on others, you know? So Mm. it's all, it's all very salient, you know, it's a, it's a, I just, it's, it's a masterwork film. It really Uh, is. Rewatching it again. It's a masterpiece. It's a masterpiece. it's 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 a really, really just a beautiful film, uh, like all my favorite films, it's kind of subtle in a lot of ways. Right. It doesn't hit you over the head with stuff. It doesn't, like you said earlier, spoon feed you. It, yeah, but the deeper you, you look, one, the context is there. Right, right. And it's one of those movies that uh, begs rewatching. Um, yep. And I knew right away, I, I think I even texted you a couple of days ago when I was watching it for the. I didn't want to just like go in completely cold today with, right. with the one watch. I wanted to really watch it. Um, and I texted you about half an hour, and I was like, "Yeah, dude, yeah, oh yeah, I'm Let's do I'm it. on the edge of my seat. I don't even know why. I don't. I, th- I feel like I'm watching. I'm kind of sweating. Uh, yeah, I don't really know why, but I'm so just like tractor beam sucked into this movie. And yeah, it it has all the elements of why of why I love horror. You know, I really do love horror films and. And they're not things that I watch all the time anymore. I did a lot when I was younger. And, uh, you know, yeah. some of the, like, dark elements and stuff like that of it now just affect me differently. So it's not something that I, like, consume all the time. But yeah. that on-the-edge-of-your-seat tense needle point, mm. uh, that feeling is just – it's something that is so unique, I think, to horror. Uh, and I think it's something that – when when a film pulls it off is something that is incredible to to experience. 
So. Absolutely. And the the existential kind of uh, elements are definitely here and the, the pacing. And I actually one one camera thing that I really wanted to bring up. I think it happens twice. I think early on she's sitting there. I want to say it was right around the milk. Um, and then I forget when the second time was, but the camera slowly and you're almost like, is it zooming? Is it dollying in? But it was almost one of those, like, you know, in Psycho where it's like dolly in, zoom out, and it's just like yes. slowly creeping in on her, slowly pushing in on her, slowly. And it, to me, that's the metaphor of the movie, of her reality is slowly just suffocating and, you know, wrapping around her and cocooning her. Um, and it's because. It's the slow dread. The it's slow the dread, slow dread. Man. Oh, and it's so powerful. It's way more powerful than any blood or viscera. In any, you know, oh yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, lo- it, I love me a good gore fest, uh, but you go watch too. a slasher versus like this is gonna be in your head. Like this is gonna. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, to get back to Kubrick, like The Shining. Um, oh, of course. You know, yep. 2001, which Todd Haynes directly influenced, uh, referenced that he directly influenced him, um, and he definitely Kubrick definitely walks the horror line in 2001. That existential, the space kind of, like you said, the sterile and. Oh yeah. Um, and then Town 9000, who has the very calm soothing voice mm-hmm. becomes this mass murderer um yep uh and and i think uh you know a, a film that i've seen more recently that makes me think of this film too is midsommar midsommar absolutely yeah yeah absolutely uh the second uh the sophomore piece from ari aster who did uh hereditary which <laughs> a terrifying film yeah those are both ter- terrifying movies and you know what I, to stick with midsommar because i like that midsommar like The Shining and, you know, but perfectly framed shots, beautiful on the surface, yeah. always daytime, right? Like there isn't much night. Yep. There isn't much night in safe. There's just a little no, bit. It's of day, night. it's daytime horror. It's daytime horror. Just just like Midsommar. Like I bet I I would bet money if you talk to Ari Aster, he would be like, yeah, I, I watched safe like before I made Midsommar. I, I bet you're right. Like. I, I think he he would have to be influenced. He's about our age, like I think, it. or I think I'm a little bit older than you. I got five or six years on you, maybe. Yep. Um, I'm 20, but he's close to our age. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but he's so we're kind of all children of of that era, and you know the generations, the passing of the baton, and uh, yep. you know we're always as artists, we're always it's a it's a combination of assimilating data and then output, so input and output. Um, totally. And yeah, looking for horror in. I can see going to this movie maybe back then in 95 and and thinking it was going to be this kind of like disease drama and mm-hmm. just and like Wes Craven literally Wes Craven said that it was the scariest movie of 1995. So I look I think this this movie this movie if you let yourself think about it too much is one of the scariest movies you can see. I honestly think you're right. And I'm I'm a big horror buff. Before this podcast, I did uh, Sons of Carpenter with a bunch of other talented buddies, mofos. Um, and, you know, we were looking at the works of John Carpenter. and uh, Oh, yeah. But I think those elements and, like, the thing, like the isolation and not knowing mm-hmm. who to trust. And, like, that's in everyday life. And this movie takes the everyday and puts it into horror in such a... Yeah. And not a tropey way either. Like the music doesn't really no. kick in. The camera works very minimalistic, minus very. You know, uh, the framing which you brought up so beautifully is is very powerful. And uh, 
The framing's incredible. The framing's incredible. Frame. But it's it's yeah. not it's not your typical like horror camera flying around and uh you know no. the shining were floating around the hallways of the overlook. Uh it's it's very frenetic, it's very kinetic. This is very much like a series of paintings and it's just people. And it was a one million dollar budget. Yeah. Um and apparently they had to fight tooth and nail to, to get that because it was so cutting edge. And I'm so grateful oh. that they were able to, to make this movie happen, that this movie exists. Oh, me too. And, and I think anytime you can see a star-making performance, I love watching them. Any, oh. any kind of breakout role for any actor that I respect, yeah. I really love watching, you know? And it's funny because you think of Julian, uh, you think of her now, and I think of her as a very emotional actress who tackles hard roles. But leading up to this, that was not the case. Yeah. She had done mostly kind of like soapy TV and yeah. some theater. and some theater, yeah. And, and so it's like, you know, it's crazy to think this, this gave is her what a shot. put her on the map. This gave her to, a shot to, be to the do something really, really breakthrough and, and, and revolutionary and powerful and yeah. show her chops. To be the person you see in Boogie Nights. To, to, right. to be the person you, you see in Magnolia. Later. Yeah, right. Yeah, like you know. Yeah, PT Anderson to, definitely picked up on her on her and was of like, course, "I of want course. you." Yeah, he definitely. I'm sure he saw this and was like, "Oh man, yeah. this woman is incredible." You know. Yeah, yeah, uh, and it's happy 25 to it, and you know, to we love of, you safe. We love, we love you, you safe, and like, and now here in this quarantine, which is I think probably why we we both resonated so much with it, why it really beckoned to us. Um, well, back into you, and then you were like, oh, this one's kind of, we go in the quarantine theme, and I was like, yeah, I'm kind of digging that. We just did a Groundhog Day, and then we did Jaws, which is about reopening yep. the economy. That's the hot button issue right now. But this movie explores the uh, the quarantine element of the isolation and how our world is just a series of bubbles, and they expand and, contra- and contract. And I really think that the illness, whether or not it came out physically or not, and I don't think it really matters, was kind of a manifestation of her feeling like stuck in this kind of bubble. But then in the end, she ends up stuck in a literal bubble at the end. So it's very a literal end. bubble. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, it's so heavy handed yet at the same time. So like subtle, not yeah, which is, which is something that's almost impossible to do. How do you pull that off? No, the movie know? is, it's, it's such a masterpiece for so many it's reasons. Great. That... I would love to read the script. I would love oh, to read the let's script. Let's do it. Yeah. That'd be great. Yeah. You can get them. Right I think online. it'd be a really, a really cool script. I, I, um, I'm sure it's very cool. Yeah. And, uh, thank you, Safe. Thank you, Thank you, Sid. Julianne Moore. Thank you, Thank Julianne you Todd Moore. Haynes. Um, uh, I think it's is, cool to... Sp- this is my intro to him, uh, by the way. Yeah. So I'm going to be probably calling you in the next few nights. Uh, I think I'm going to be going on a journey. I, uh. <laughs> I need to watch more. I need to watch more of his movies, too. Yeah. I need to said, watch more uh, of his movies, too. You said you just... So Dark Waters is his most recent... Uh, mm-hmm. he has a couple that movie's pretty good. Yeah, and it's, I, I it's like also environmental. Fine. It's also environmental. So there's a kinship with safety. Yeah, 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 yeah. I that movie's that movie's like flawed but cool. Um, yeah, he he did the um, the the one about Bob Dylan. Um, right. uh, I'm not there. I think it's called. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm not there. 2007. Like yep. Uh, that movie's that amazing. Either. Uh, and then I think he did. It's called what is it? Carol or something like that. Oh, Maybe Carol. It's not Carol. Oh, is it about yeah, it's about Carol. Carol White? Is she back? Yeah, it's safe too. Safe too. This time it's habit. personal. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, Kate Blanchett, Rooney Mara, yeah, Sarah Paulson. Yes. Uh, yeah, twenty fifteen. Yeah, that movie is really beautiful as well, and and, and tackles um, some some high level um, 
gender politics and things like that and sexuality with with a lot of of touch and grace and and mm. and is a beautiful film. Man, he but really explores none of these, his... these deep. He's really. I mean, he's definitely not like just doing commercial like fluff. You know, <laughs> no. rock the rock movies. No, like, you know. and and I mean, if you looked at like kind of the the box office gross of his films, I'm sure it's you know, yeah, not very much. I would imagine, but sometimes it's just art, and that's the point. Yeah, no, I mean, he's he's definitely uh, he's definitely a brand. Uh, he's definitely has notoriety. Um, I'm so glad that you chose this movie and I'm so excited to, to watch the rest of his stuff and really go down that rabbit hole of. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for having me on brother. Thank you for coming chase. I was just going to, let me, let me just bu- bookend it with this. Just like 10 years ago, I, I don't think I'd be ready for this. And I was already a film nerd at that point, but this is a, this is kind of a headspace that, um, uh, I've really, I think, uh, have grown up to be ready for now. And, um, yeah, I think it's stuff. a film that rewards people who watch films too. Mm-hmm. which which I like because I think there's a lot of subtle things in there and things that from study and, and, and watching a lot of really good films, you can pick up the nuances on and, and really rewards you, you know? Absolutely. Well, Chase, thank you so much for spending probably about half the day with me here. Uh, <laughs> of course, brother. It's uh, been a blast. Let so me fun. just, I miss uh, you, man. You're the man, you're the man, dude. Um, do you want to, I miss you too. Any links you want to, I'm going to put the links on the, uh, on the, on the description of the episode, but is there anything you want to kind of shout out or? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, I am on a Netflix show called trinkets. Please go check that out. Awesome. Um, it's a really cool show and I think you will enjoy it. Uh, trinkets. I was in a film called Sophie Jones that was supposed to premiere, um, and have its worldwide premiere, but that was actually canceled, unfortunately, uh, by COVID. Darn it. Uh, but that is in the process of getting distribution and coming out, so please please look for that. It's from a beautiful um, woman duo, uh, Jesse and Jesse Barr, which is hilarious. They're cousins, but, uh, wow. you know, writ- written, uh, directed, and starring, and and it's, it's a work of love by them and a really cool piece. Uh, and I have a film that I'm in for a split second. If you blink, you'll miss me, but it's called Clementine. It's out now available to watch. And, uh, it's, it's a great film. Awesome, man. Chase Offerly, maestro of the arts, actor, music video maker, writer, producer. I look forward to collaborating with you way more and, uh, talking to you about movies way more, sir. Thank you so much. You're a class act, baby. I'll see you soon. (laughs) Right back at you, brother. Peace out. Stay safe. Stay safe.